Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Roundtable Podcast, where we interview experts who tackle the tough topics and share strategies and techniques that will help you start, build, and grow your real estate investing business. And now your host, Rob the House Guy. Hey guys, Rob the House Guy here. On today's podcast, we are going to play another amazing webinar. Building wealth with your self-directed retirement account. Real Flow CEO Greg Clement and Don Fowler interviewed John Bowers of Equity Trust. Let me tell you, Equity Trust, they are the pioneers of this whole self-directed IRA game. Their founder, Dick Desage, years ago interpreted the IRS code and made it possible for all of us to invest properties inside of our retirement accounts. It's really amazing. Now, John He's a senior national education speaker with retail sales manager at Equity Trust. Through the years of experience working with self-directed IRA investors and holding positions in contracting, operations, and building management, John has developed an educational curriculum that delves deep into the lesser-known aspect of IRA investment techniques. They discuss why right now is the perfect time to establish your self-directed IRA account and how you can be ready for the buying opportunities that will arise in the near future. Now, they're also going to touch on this CARES Act. So this is tons of amazing, amazing information you guys are going to catch up with. So without further ado, let's get right into this amazing content. And remember, people over profits is our number one priority. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining our Wednesday three o'clock standing call on investorshift.com. Really appreciate it. We've got a, a great call today with John Bowens. He's our export expert today, and um, he's awesome. And it's going to be a great call, content only about self-directed IRAs and, and a couple of other things for sure, too, at the end. Um, so I think this is going to be a great uh, call for both new and experienced investors. I know a lot of the calls we've had before really we're geared more towards experienced investors. And I think the new people on the call today are really going to find a lot of value out of the call today. So a couple of quick things before we jump into this. First is investorshift.com. Uh, definitely uh, subscribe to that if you can. We have a Friday newsletter every, every Friday now where we recap the best uh, information that we've acquired for you over the week. So, uh, so go to that investorshift.com. And go do that uh, and take a look at the content that we have there because every day we're putting new curated content just for you guys that mean that matter to you right so take a look at that bookmark the page hit hit that towards the end of the day every day and you'll see some new stuff on there so that's really cool and then the other thing that a lot of people have been using lately is the contri the contribute button in the top right hand corner if you take a look at that and click there there's a lot of options but you can, uh, if you have anything valuable that you'd like us to disseminate to our group, you could put that in there. If you have an article that you want to write for our site, totally, that would be awesome. Um, but really, if you have any ideas or any way for us to make investorshift.com more useful to you guys, I'm really looking for that feedback. So uh, that would be awesome if you guys could, could utilize that some more too. Um, and then finally, just stay healthy, guys, right? So uh, I know there's a lot going on for sure, uh, but use this time to, to learn, to prepare yourself, uh, to grow your network like we've talked about, and, and really get ready for this shift that's upcoming. 
become that leader in your market that we've talked about as well. If you haven't been on our calls before, um, so you know whether it's at work, at home, both. Uh, really, this is the time to become leaders. We all need leaders right now. So again, John Bowens, thank you for joining the call. So John's been with Equity Trust uh, for like 10 plus years. Equity Trust has been in business for 45 plus years. Uh, and they're a great, well-established uh, custodial site for IRAs. So John travels the country. He speaks on the topics that we're gonna cover today uh, all the time. So he's, he's covered all 50 states. He's been in all 50 states, spoke live in all those. He's trained and educated over 50,000 people. So uh, this is nothing new for him at all. He's been on print and TV, and uh, he's a really sought after speaker and educator in this space. So we're really honored to have you, John. So thank you so much for joining the call today. Yeah, thanks so much, Don and Greg as well. I really appreciate it and uh, happy to share. and. and and try to inform uh, our listeners today about the topic, which is, is self-directed IRAs. And I'm incredibly passionate about the topic. I know Greg and Don, you as well, from, from talking before the call and yesterday, I think we're all really passionate about this topic and it's a very timely topic and conversation to have. So uh, I'm, I'm here and available to, to give as much as I can to your viewers. Awesome, yeah. And, and most people know Greg. Greg, I'm gonna let you take it over, but Greg's the founder and owner of RealFlow, my partner and, and my Thanks, friend sir. too. So uh, awesome dude. And I think everyone on the call knows Greg. So go ahead, Greg. Yeah, you know, when Don, so Don had the idea to, to, to do today's call about self-directed IRA investing. And rather than him interview John, just have those two on the call, I thought it'd be a good idea if John, we interviewed him as the expert and then we sort of, right described it in layman's terms or sort of real world application like how i've been doing it the last 10 to 15 years from a real estate investor's perspective so um so why don't we get into it um don you you mentioned taking a le leadership position and we're we we've been uh you know building on the message people over profits and and again i think what's unfolding right right for us right now we're we will see more real estate investing opportunity, right? So JP Morgan this week announced that they are going to make it harder for someone to qualify to buy a house, right? For for, for someone to become a homeowner. You're gonna need 20% down again and you're gonna need a good credit score, right? And so lenders, even though they have money uh, to lend, they're tightening up their, their restrictions. So what does that mean? That means that for a month, where money in IRAs and self-directed money, if you have money in your IRA, you can use it to invest in real estate. And chances are you, you know dozens of people potentially with IRAs and you can communicate to them how they can use their money, how you can use as an investor, their money to invest in real estate. It could become, right, really open up a whole new funding source. Because most people I think when they think of self-directed IRA investing, they think of themselves, right? It's a selfish thought. And it's like, how do I use my own IRA to invest in real estate? Well, chances are, you know, probably 30, 40 other people who have IRAs. And if you simply educate them on how you can or how you can invest in real estate and use their money as a private lender, they can loan you the money and help you do deals, pay them a very good rate of return without the volatility of the stock market. Um, that is a huge opportunity. So that's basically the crux of, of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so 
John, I guess, let me, let me explain from my perspective what a self-directed IRA is because I, you know, came right out of college, I was actually a financial advisor for about eight years. And um, so, so I was used as a financial advisor selling all types of financial pro you know, pro products, insurance, mutual funds, annuities, um, you know, all types, retirement accounts. Um, I did that for eight years and I was pretty good at it. And if you would have told me when I was 30 years old, eight years into it, what a self-directed IRA was, I would have said, no, you can't self-direct your IRA. I would have argued with a potential client. I would have said, no, you have, you have to take your IRA money. You have to put it in, in the stock market, in bonds and equities. You, like, like I didn't even know as a financial advisor what a self-directed IRA was. So when I met the Desiches, uh, the Des Dick Desich founded Equity Trust Company. I probably met him 15, 16 years ago. And um, when I started to hear that you could that, that that you could use your IRA account to invest in real estate, it opened up again. It was like a light bulb moment for me. Um, but essentially, you can't do it through a traditional brokerage, right? That was a big for me at first. I had to get over that. Like, okay, so so I can't. Traditional brokers don't know anything about this. But legally, 100% legal above board, we have to move money over to a self-directed custodian. So why don't we start there? What, like, like, what is Equity Trust Company exactly? How do, how are they different than a regular broker? And they're not. You guys aren't the only self-directed bro broker, but just explain that real quick. Yeah, absolutely, Greg. So for the viewers out there, a self-directed IRA custodian like Equity Trust. Think of us no differently than a traditional brokerage or wirehouse like you were describing there, Greg. I think you did a good job there. You know, if I have an account at Vanguard or Fidelity or TD Ameritrade or think of any of the other, you know, big financial institutions out there that have IRAs or hold IRAs, you can only invest in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, traditional asset classes. Uh, and that's to no discredit to those institutions. They're set up and they're structured to focus on stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And equity trust as a custodian, we're really no different. The difference is, is we cater to the investor that wants to invest in real estate. All of our systems, our architecture, our technology platforms, our personnel, our over 400 employees nationwide, those people are trained and educated to work with the individual investor that wants to flip houses, buy rentals, wholesale properties, lend money secured by real estate. Ultimately, that's how we're structured. And uh, you brought up Dick Desich. He's widely known as the pioneer of the industry. He was my mentor going back many years ago when I started in the business. And uh, this was a concept that he sort of stumbled upon. Uh, he was a stockbroker by trade. This goes back to 1974. In the early 80s, he thought about, hey, I'm in real estate now and I work with real estate investors and my clients that have IRAs and other retirement accounts from their 401k rollovers and such, they want to invest in real estate because that's what they're good at and they feel they have more control over real estate. So how can I get real estate in an IRA? And there was a lot of legal work that went on back then. That was the early 80s. And Mr. Desich actually put together one of the very first real estate transactions in self-directed IRAs. It was actually a local transaction. I don't know if you're familiar with this, Greg, uh, a discount drug mart over yeah. in Oberlin, Ohio. Right. And there were 22 IRA investors that were involved in that syndication. And over about 
20 years, each of those IRA investors with only about $6,000 in the deal netted nearly $200,000 in profit. So that was sort of the flagship transaction that started this whole process. And then investors across the country started to, to catch on. So the idea is, is it's not a matter of legality, it's a matter of choice. And if you go to the IRS website, irs.gov, and you search real estate IRA FAQ, you're gonna see directly from the IRA, IRS that real estate is a permissible investment, but due to the administrative burden, financial institutions are not required or trustees, custodians are not required to have you hold real estate in your IRA. So if you go to one of those traditional brokerage houses, they're likely gonna direct you to either another type of investment that's not real estate related, or they're gonna say, well, you need to reach out to an actual IRA custodian like Equity Trust that can facilitate these types of transactions. Right. So if I'm a real estate investor and, and I have an IRA, or I know my brother has an IRA or a friend has an IRA, and I find a good opportunity, right? I know we're gonna talk about options, and I think an option is the simplest way. I remember Dick, Dick Desich would talk about um, an example he would use that really got me excited as an investor um, was when he told the story or he gave the example of someone who, who saw a piece of prop, property for sale off the highway and they went and they talked to the owner and they, they basically negotiated to purchase the property and they basically use their IRA as the buyer, essentially, and, and, and then they actually sold that option in between the time, right, right that they had to close, and they made a significant amount of money tax-free inside of their IRA um, because they found, you know, were ultimately an end buyer. Essentially, they wholesaled the property to another buyer and they made that spread in between. Do you, so, so why don't we start there? Because I think, you know, basic essence of a transaction, let's, let's go over that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as a starter, the idea is, is when we move our IRA or 401k or whatever type of retirement account we have over into a self-directed IRA, really important for viewers and listeners to understand that there's no tax liability or penalties when you do that. You're just shifting from one bank account to another. So now we have our accounts set up and funded within the equity trust account system, and we're ready to pull the trigger to make an investment. And when we buy real estate, whether it's an option, and I'll give an example of that in just a second, whether it's an option or maybe our IRA takes title to a property and then puts in all the renovations and sells it for a profit, or maybe our IRA buys a rental property, we renovate and we rent it out and we got cash flow coming back in, or maybe our IRA is making a loan secured by property. Greg, you were talking about that before, maybe leveraging other investors' funds in their IRAs as a private lender. So regardless of the type of investment that you're making in real estate, it's no different structurally or mechanically than if you invest in stocks and mutual funds, which most people are familiar with. So with an IRA, if I buy a stock, cash leaves the account, and return for that cash is a stock certificate. And then I may have dividend income coming back in. And that dividend income is tax exempt. That's the beauty of a self-directed IRA that we're gonna get more into is that you, this can be used as a tax mitigation strategy in addition to diversifying and taking more control over your retirement wealth accumulation. And so cash leaves the account and return as a stock certificate. 
no tax liabilities. It's not like I took a distribution. When we take a personal distribution, we have to pay taxes. When we buy an asset like a stock, we're buying that asset. When we buy real estate, when we loan money, when we do options, real estate options, it's the same concept. Cash leaves the account in return for that cash is a deed to a property or a mortgage note or a option contract. That's the bona fide asset that's in the account. And there's no tax liability or penalties. It's not like I'm gonna to have to pay a 10% premature withdrawal penalty and ordinary income taxes. A lot of folks, unfortunately, are fearful of that, that that's gonna happen. I just had someone I talked to five minutes before this phone call that she's investing in an alternative investment in real estate. And she was worried that, hey, if I go out and buy this property, I'm gonna have to pay taxes on that money I pull out to buy the property. We wouldn't be in business if that's the case, right? So it's all tax exempt. Now, to give you an example of an option investment, Greg, um, I'll give you a real, real case study. So a client here at, at Equity Trust, in fact, uh, Greg, you, you may know this individual. I'll keep his name for anonymity purposes um, out of the case study. But this particular investor set up a, a Roth IRA for his child. Now, you can plug and play whomever that might be. It could be a Roth IRA for you, a Roth IRA for a parent, a Roth IRA for a child. So he's, he set up a Roth IRA for, for his child, had earned income, put money in the account. Down in Atlanta, Georgia, he found a property that was inhabitable and it needed to be torn down, and it, but it was in a good neighborhood and it was a good lot. And what he did is he negotiated with the seller to put the property under contract with an option using his daughter's Roth IRA. So the optionee, instead of it being his name, it was Equity Trust Company Custodian, FBO, his daughter's name, Roth IRA. That was the optionee. The Roth IRA put a $100 deposit down. Under the terms of that option, he had the right to exercise the option. He had the right to purchase the property at the predetermined price at a future date. And instead of closing on the property, because the Roth IRA, in fact, didn't even have enough money in it at the time to close on the property purchase, he instead found a buyer. He found a real estate developer that wanted to buy the lot, tear down the house, and then build a new home and sell it for a profit. So what he did is he assigned the option to the investor buyer, and he got an option fee. He got an assignment fee. And that assignment fee was $4,900. So his daughter's Roth IRA with a $100 investment got $4,900 coming back into the Roth IRA. The $4,800 in net profit was 100% tax-free. And that gets us to the tax mitigation strategies here. That $4,800 never hit his 1040, or his daughter for that matter's 1040, as ordinary income tax. And so now we start to talk about what I like to phrase compounding interest in the absence of taxation. I think maybe Greg and Don, you've heard me say that a million times already. Compounding interest in the absence of taxation. So what I can do is start driving my yield as a result of not having to pay taxes on those investments. So that's a, a real world example for folks to, to think about. Um, obviously, we can talk about flipping, we can talk about buying and holding real estate, um, I certainly have, you know, tidbits and anecdotes on that. Which we will in a second, but that that's a perfect example of essentially what a lot of investors look at wholesaling a contract 
um, that's a perfect example. And, and when you talk about compound interest in a tax-free environment, um, you know, we, we don't have graphs, but if I had a whiteboard right now, I, I don't, but the rule of set is 72, right? How long does it take your money to double? Um, and essentially, if you're getting 10% interest on your money, it takes 7.2 years for your money to double, right? If you're getting 36% interest on your money, it takes two years for your money to double. In that example, if you're investing 100 bucks and you're, right, that's that's what, 4,000% 4, 4, return or some, something crazy. Obviously, it's more than doubling. So it's like, you know, I like, from a real estate investor's perspective, you know, the concept of I bet on myself versus I'm going to bet on a bunch of other people, right? So you have money, whether it's your money, right? I've, I've always believed I can self-direct. I can make a better return than a hedge fund or a money manager or buying a mutual fund because I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm involved in it. I control it. I have control over it. So that's the beauty and the power of this. Um, for real estate investors, honestly, how you should be doing this, the system, the business model you should be setting up is you should be figuring out how much money do you need to make? How much income do you need to make in a year? And you do enough deals to provide that income, but everything else should be done in a self-directed account, right? You should be doing as many deals as possible. And from a transaction engineer perspective, John is the guy that I go to. There's really two, two guys, Jeff Watson and John, when it comes to, hey, can we do this? Can we do that? You know, here's here's basically, and that's what I love about equity trust is you can get somebody on the phone to sort of talk through a deal in whether you have $5,000 in your IRA or half a million, right? Uh, so that example was somebody with a small dollar amount. What about somebody that has, what if, what if Don, uh, you know, he started working for RealFlow 10, 12 years ago, longer even, um, but what if he what if he rolled his 401k over? He had a couple hundred grand grand in a 401k. He rolled it over to Equity Trust Company. How would he really use that? Like, like what's a real world example of somebody with a lot more money in inside of an IRA? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Greg. And and really it comes down to when I work one-on-one -on -one with with folks and my team members, when they work one-on-one -on -one with individual investors. We like to talk a little bit about what your specific needs and goals are. You know, obviously we want to know what your long-term goals are. A good example is I got a client that 10 years ago when we met, his goal was to officially retire in 15 years. He was going to list his house and him and his wife were going to get in an RV that they bought a couple of years back and travel the country. You know, and I've heard a lot of folks that have similar goals like that. So his right. was a 15 year plan. Now, what he wasn't accounting for when he was doing all of his financial calculations is that all the investments he does in his Roth IRA, in his wife's Roth IRA, they primarily buy properties and sell them on seller financing. They do private lending. They've had rentals. They've done fix and flip deals. What he wasn't accounting for is all of the tax savings. So going back to that rule of 72, which I'm really glad you brought that up, Greg, he was able to compound faster and so I just got a message from him a few weeks back and he's going to list his his house, his personal residence. He sold off all of his rentals and his wife are going to ultimately go off to their lifelong goal in less than five years than they anticipated. So they shaved five years off of their retirement, long term retirement goal because they were doing these investments in their Roth IRA. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, 
I would first ask Don a little bit about, you know, what are his goals and what is the investment strategies that he's doing now that are working? And then what is he looking to do going forward? Now, let's say that in role playing this, Don says, hey, I'm a buy and hold guy. I want to buy rentals, hire a property management company and generate cash flow. And eventually I'll sell the property maybe five, 10 years down the road, depending on if a good buyer comes into the market for me. So let's say Don moves over his $100,000 401k. And I'll give you a real example. Let's say he goes out and buys a duplex for 68,000 here in Cleveland. And he puts $20,000 worth of work into it. So 68 goes out of the IRA, buys the property. IRA holds title to the property. He puts $20,000 worth of work into it. So now he's in it for 88,000. And he did this all in cash without any leverage. He's a cash buyer with his IRA. And that Wait a second, real quick, real quick, John, yeah. you're, you're saying, just so everyone knows, that Don has 100K in his IRA. He can take 68 out to buy the property from his IRA, but he can also take the 20 grand for rehab or renovation costs out of his IRA? Absolutely. In fact, that's the way he has to structure it. So if the okay. IRA buys it, the IRA has to pay for all fix up and repairs. Okay. So 20,000 goes out to fix it up. And now let's say he's renting both units for $900 a month. So he's got, he's got, uh, he's got what, 50, he's got 1500, or I'm sorry, he's got, um, he's got 900 per unit, right? So he's got 1800 coming back in every single month. Mm -hmm. And then let's say that his net, his net operating income on a monthly basis is $1,400. So that $1,400 is going back into the IRA and is 100% exempt from taxation because mm -hmm. it's in his Roth IRA. There's no right. need to calculate depreciation. If he eventually sells the property, there's no recapture depreciation. That's all tax exempt profit coming back to the IRA. The profit never hits his 1040 as ordinary income. And Greg, I gave that example because I have a client here in Cleveland, his name's Gary. And he did this exact same transaction. He bought a duplex about three years ago at a foreclosure auction. The equity trust IRA funded it. He gave us the direction, 68,000 went out. He put $20,000 worth of work into it. He hired contractors to do all the work. He didn't physically do any of the work himself. And that property still to this day is renting out at 900 per unit. And last I talked with him, his net, his net operating income is around 1,400. Now, if we do a cash on cash return on investment calculation there, Assuming that it continues to be rented out, he's got two two-year leases in there. Uh, uh, he's going to cash on cash ROI at a, close to 20%. And so when yeah. we use we apply that to the rule of 72, he'll double his money in about three and a half years. So question question for you then: um, They're actually writing their rent check to my Roth IRA in that example. That that's the owner of the property. Yeah. So the, the, the theory, yes, is that the tenant is going to be writing the checks made payable to the IRA. Those checks are deposited right in the IRA. Um, you know, not to get too far ahead of myself, we do have a technology portal that allows our customers to send a link to their tenant. We call it a payment center and they send the link to the tenant. The tenant goes in keys in their account number, and routing number, and the money gets zapped directly into the equity trust IRA allocated to that specific property. Perfect. That's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing, yeah. John, for sure. Um, so, so that's a great example. What about 
people who don't live in Cleveland, right? So they can't buy a $68,000 duplex. So let's, let's use the 100K example again, but let's say Don lives in San Diego and he found a $400,000 property that he wants to rent or he wants to buy and rent out. How would he structure that deal? Like when, when he has to do, he wants to use his IRA, but he's also going to potentially have to use some other people's money or bank financing even, or cash of his own. Can he set that up? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a, there's a couple ways that we can go about this and we can whiteboard a transaction like this. And this is exactly what I would do if Dan, Don came to me one-on-one, -on -one. not that equity trust or myself can give tax, legal, or financial advice. That's, you know, always something we want to communicate appropriately to our customers and prospective investors. But if we were whiteboarding this together, I would first look at it and say, okay, it's 400,000, you got 100,000 in an IRA. Do you have 300,000 in cash personally? Because Don, if you have $300,000 in cash personally, you could actually partner your IRA with your non-IRA funds. So you got taxable funds and non-taxable funds. Now you have to be careful when you go about doing this because you don't want to trigger what's called a prohibited transaction. That being a transaction that would invalidate the IRA. So if you were to structure the deal this way, where your IRA puts in 100 and you personally put in 300,000, proportionally, the pro rata percentages would be Don's IRA has 25% interest in the property. And then Don personally, or likely he's going to have his real estate investment LLC, right, on title, will be 75% owner. So 25% IRA, 75% LLC. On the deed to the property, he would have listed or you would see equity trust company custodian for the benefit of Don's IRA, undivided interest 25%, and Don's LLC, undivided interest 75%. And then going forward, all expenses would flow 75-25. So Don's LLC responsible for 75% of the expenses, IRA responsible for 25% of the expenses. And then let's say he sold this property for a profit and let's call it a $100,000 profit. That profit in principle would be split 75-25. And so the $100,000 in profit, 25,000 goes back into the IRA, which is exempt from taxation, does not hit his 1040 as ordinary income. And then the other 75,000 is gonna flow back to Don's LLC. And then he's gonna report that on his schedule C or whatever applicable tax schedule and pay the accordingly taxes on his 1040. And the same thing with positive rental income. If he's, if he, so he's bought that property, owns it free and clear, he's getting 3,000 a month in rent, let's say. Basically 75% of the rent income would be attributable to his LLC and 25%, 750 bucks, would go tax-free into his IRA every month. Yeah. That's exactly correct. Everything is yep. done pro rata. Now, it's important to mention that financing in your IRA is certainly not off limits with a retirement account. There, there's a misconception out there that you shouldn't do debt leverage deals in your IRA because of some lesser known taxes called unrelated business income tax. Um, some people have trouble getting financing with their IRA investments because you can't get a traditional loan, a conventional loan. Reason being is a conventional loan, you're going to have to sign a personal guarantee. But if your IRA borrows money, you can't sign a personal guarantee. Under the provisions of 4975 of the Internal Revenue Code, it's considered an extension of credit prohibited transaction. 
just if anybody viewers out there are interested in that light reading, you could check that out on your own. But the important thing to understand is if you do want to borrow money, your IRA buy a property and borrow money, you have to find a non-recourse lender. Um, we do have a list of lenders that we can share with audience members. Um, one of them is by the name of North American Savings Bank. Another one is First Western Federal. Um, they specialize in loans to IRAs. So it is a little bit more advanced, but hey, I have found a number of investors out there that have been able through debt leverage, be able to acquire more than just one rental. They can maybe buy two or three and potentially increase their yields and cash flow. So right. just keep in mind for all the viewers out there, debt financing is not off the table. Right. One other idea for Don in this scenario though, is let's say Don has a third party investor partner that is willing to come in with capital. So Don found the deal, right? Don's gonna essentially oversee the entire transaction. And then let's say Don has a passive investor partner that wants to come into the deal, not as a private lender, but as a joint venture partner. Right. And I say joint venture partner because we just talked about loans to IRAs and unrelated business income tax that may apply. We bring them in as a joint venture partner. So I'm just gonna use the example of um, you know Don, and I'm not gonna use Greg you as an example, but I'm gonna say Don and Joe Smith. So Joe Smith is a friend of Don's. Joe Smith is a passive investor that has his money invested in a CD and is just looking for a more attractive return on investment and is totally passive. They don't wanna be involved in the deal. So Don brings in 100,000, Joe Smith brings in 300,000, they create either an LLC or maybe it's just a joint venture type agreement, but they work with a real estate attorney to do that. And they agree to split the profits, let's say 50-50. So even though Don only put 25% of the capital in needed for the deal and Joe put in 75, because Don essentially is the one who found the deal and handling all the oversight, he's gonna get 50% of the profits. Now, using in the context of a fix and flip deal, let's say they make a $100,000 profit, 50,000 of that profit goes back to Don's IRA. So he just made a 50% return on investment. The investor friend of his has 50,000 that goes back to his IRA. He invested $300,000 in the deal. That's still an attractive rate of return for that investor partner who was ultimately the passive investor. So that's the concept of a joint venture. The key element to this, Greg and Don, is that Joe Smith is not a what's called disqualified person to Don. Uh, not to get too far in the weeds say, on folks. Say that again, but, you broke up. It's not a disqualified what? Yeah, so uh, Joe Smith, we're assuming, is not a disqualified person to Don. In other words, Joe Smith is not anyone of lineal ascent or lineal descent. So no parents or grandparents, no children or grandchildren. You are a disqualified person to your IRA, your spouse. And then for all intents and purposes, your real estate investment, LLC, limited partnership, corporation, et cetera. So if Joe Smith is a true disinterested third party, he's just a friend, all right? He's not falling into that disqualified person realm. You can partner and take a disproportionate percentage. And Greg, we can even go beyond this. I've seen investors where they'll buy a property for 100,000, they put in 5,000 with their IRA and they bring in a joint venture partner with 95,000. And then they split the profits, maybe 50-50 or 80-20, however they agree upon the deal. 
this concept well, before, john, up, john before before you go deeper i want to i want to rehash what you said because the real estate joint venture this is this is a new concept that you just told me about this past year i, I guess it's not really a new concept but again i'm a pretty experienced investor in in what people tend to do is they tend to do what's worked in the past for them right so like i've done things successfully and i keep doing those things successfully um and so so sometimes most of the time all this other stuff out there is noise right it's noise but really if you look at music what is music but ordered noise right it brings a structure to noise and it's right it creates music it's beautiful sound right so so you do have to have your eyes open to these these new concepts and this to me was a big new concept that that we started to talk about the real estate joint venture but i'm going to just communicate it back back to everybody so so i'm going to use an example i don't have let let's say a ton of money in my ira but i'm an active real estate investor and let's say i have 20 grand and i find a good piece of property let's say it could be residential or commercial right there's there's no limits, there's no rule saying you can't invest in commercial property or raw land or a mobile home or a mobile home park or an apartment building, right? I mean, it real estate's a broad cat category, but I have 20 grand and I'm out there and I find a deal. Let's say I find an office building, small office building that I can buy, um, or I, Okay, let's use apartment building because I'm we're going to encourage real flow. We're going to encourage people to really get into residential a lot more than than we have even in the past, just because of COVID and coronavirus. So I so let, let's say that I find an eight unit apartment building for half a million bucks, but I only have 20 grand in my IRA. I can uh, go and find a partner, real estate joint venture partners, what you're calling it, who has the rest of the money, who has a half a million bucks. And I could put my 20 grand in, they put 480 grand in potentially, um, and, and we partner on the deal. And we fix the property up, we either rent it out for significant cash flow, or we sell it. We flip the small apartment building for let's say a million bucks. So, so purchase cost was half a million. We, we, we acquired the property and we fill it up with tenants and then we sell it for a million. So that million dollars, half of half a million is is profit. So I can so I could take my 20 grand and turn it into 250 grand in that example. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's you got it exactly correct. And yeah. I'm really glad that you used the figure of twenty thousand dollars. Um, you used some substantial skin in the game. I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression that you could open up a Roth and put $100 in it and put $100 into a deal like that and make $250,000. Um, there, that could raise some concerns. Um, and it's a bit in the gray area. And certainly I don't want to get too far in the weeds on that. But by and large, you want to have skin in the game. So a $5,000 investment, a $20,000 investment, okay, that's skin in the game. And now you made that $250,000 profit. The only thing I'd add to that, Greg, so people don't get the wrong impression, especially those out there that are a bit more experienced with self-directed IRAs, that type of fix and flip deal, very short-term fix and flip deal, you would only wanna do maybe two of those deals a year. And, and if you're gonna make 250,000 in profit with a $20,000 investment, maybe you only wanna do one of those deals a year. 
it, there's not a clearly defined, if you do more than two, you'll have an issue. If you do two or less, you won't have an issue. It's a bit of a gray area. And what I'm talking about here is what's called unrelated business income tax. So if your IRA starts running itself like a full bore business entity, like for example, if I go out and do all of my flips that I did last year in my IRA this year, and let's say it's 15 of them, ultimately the IRS is gonna step in and say, mm, you're running your IRA like a commercial entity, like a commercial business. So the IRA is for investment purposes. And that's why investors follow the rule of thumb of not doing more than two of those types of transactions a year. All of that being said, Greg, rentals, private lending, that's all, that's all passive investment, right? That's all passive income coming in, interest income, rental income. So I have a client, for example, here at Equity Trust, a husband and wife, about 10 years ago, they rolled over 401ks into the traditional IRAs. They have Roth IRAs and they have 14 rental properties in their portfolio. They have over a million dollars in properties and cash. And they have $136,000 in net tax-free cash flow coming in every single year into their Roth IRAs. And they don't have any of these unrelated business income tax concerns because those are all passive income generating investments. So would we break this up? So there's no limit to how many of those deals you can do a year. But these, in my head, these types of what I call like home run deals or real estate joint venture deals, you want to try to li limit those. You don't want to do do everything you are doing in your real estate business in that fashion in your IRA because then you're running it like a business essentially is what you're saying that using your exact words. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Um, I got a client in St. Louis. He came across this years ago. Um, he was fixing and flipping real estate inside and outside of his IRA. So it wasn't like he was just doing it in his IRA. He was doing both inside and outside of his IRA. As a lot of investors I work with, that's how they run their, their business and investing, inside and outside the IRA. And so he was fixing and flipping some real estate in his IRA and he realized that, hey, if I do too many of these deals, I'm gonna trigger this tax. So what he does is he'll do a couple fix and flip deals and then he has some rentals and then he also does a lot of private lending to other investors. And because he comes from the fix and flip trade, who better to be able to analyze deals and work with newer investors than someone, than someone that's been doing it. Right. So he shifted his, like you were saying, Greg, he's shifted his strategy a bit to conform to the confines of the IRA. And, and the main reason why is because he understands and appreciates that as he produces all this income in his Roth IRA, it's all tax-free for, for the rest of his life. And then if he leaves it to his spouse or his children or his grandchildren, it's going to go tax-free to them as well. Yeah. John, I bought a golf course a few years ago and golf courses are historically bad investments, but this golf course was in, in foreclosure. We actually bought the note. Um, but I totally, and this is just a few years ago, right? And, and, and if I would have known about the real estate JV, if we had this conversation that we're having today or that, that we had a few months back, um, I would have set the deal up because I brought in a partner on the golf, golf course project and we could have very strategically set it up, um, you know, in a tax advantage environment for sure. Um, so I know we're going to get questions about specific deals, but why don't, why don't, why don't we move on to like, like, let's talk about so 
the solo Ks. And let's talk about if I'm an investor and I'm getting excited about some of these ideas, but I don't, you know, I don't really have a bunch of money in my IRA, you know, but, but, you know, but I want to set an account up and how do I do it? Do I just do an IRA, a Roth? Do I do a solo 401k? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So first thing for viewers to understand is traditional IRA and Roth IRA, two different types of accounts. Most people that have 401ks, thrift savings plans, other employer sponsored like plans, those are tax deferred accounts. Meaning when they put money in, they got a tax deduction. Eventually when they take the money out in their retirement, they're gonna have to pay taxes. That's what we refer to as tax deferred growth. So those account types, they would roll over to a traditional IRA to get started. But in addition to the traditional IRA, you have the Roth IRA, which I've talked a lot about. And you're going to tell I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about the Roth IRA right. because of the compounding interest and the absence of taxation benefits. So in contrast to a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA, when I put money in, I don't get a tax deduction, which is fine for me because my goal is to grow this tax free. And then when I start taking money out after the age of 59 and a half, I pay 0% tax. I just bought a rental property with my Roth account. It's a duplex. It's in Maple Heights. And it's cash flowing at about 1500 a month, all right, 750 a unit. Uh, the net is around 1300. So I got 1300 coming back into that Roth tax free. I'll never pay a dime of tax. If I pass away and I leave it to my wife, it's tax free to her. And if I leave it to a child, for instance, they're going to be able to enjoy the benefits of that for 10 years tax-free as well. So the Roth IRA from an estate planning perspective, personally for my retirement wealth accumulation perspective, it is certainly king to maybe a traditional IRA. But a traditional IRA still has the tax deferred benefits. So that's the difference between traditional and Roth account for everybody to understand. Well, real, quick, real quick, John, I used to explain this to, to my clients. The perfect investment would, would have three tax advantages. The perfect investment, which doesn't exist, but it would be pre-tax going in, tax-deferred growth or tax-free growth, and tax-free on the way out when you take a withdrawal, right? The traditional IRA gets the first two, right? Pre-tax, so you get a deduction, tax-deferred growth, but it's taxed on the way out, okay? A Roth also receives two, but it's the last two, right? You don't get the deduction up front, tax-free growth, tax-free withdrawals, right? And what we're saying is we're we're taking potentially for most real estate investors a Roth absolutely every every day of the week for sure and probably twice on Sunday you you want to use a Roth because we can we can grow this sucker so big we want to be able to tap into that tax free at fifty nine and a half and in some cases in the cases of inherited Roths you you can actually tap into uh, that money before legal retirement age, which I want to get to maybe in a few in a few minutes. But why don't you continue? How do we get money into these types of accounts? Yep. So if you have an existing retirement account, you could roll money over into those accounts. And if you only have traditional IRA money and you want to get into a Roth environment, that's okay. We can actually talk through the concept of converting funds from your traditional to your Roth account. The couple I mentioned before with the 14 rental properties, cash flowing residential properties, they started with traditional money from 401ks. They converted it into a Roth to get the taxes out of the way now. 
And now they have over a million dollars in properties and cash. They took their accounts from 100,000 to over a million dollars in assets and cash. So they got the taxes out of the way in the seed so they don't have to pay it on the crop. But ultimately to get money in there, you can roll money in. You can also make contributions. You can contribute up to $6,000 when you're under the age of 50. When you're 50 and over, the government allows you to do what's called a catch up and you can contribute up to 7,000. Now this, this is really important for folks to understand. It's April 15th today, tax mm -hmm. filing deadline, but that's been extended to July 15th. So if you're taking advantage of that extension, your contribution will also be extended, which means you can make a 2019 contribution and a 2020 contribution, so as long as you're eligible. So if I didn't make a 2019 contribution, I can put 6,000 in at my age for 19, 6,000 in for 20, that gets me 12,000. And then my wife, even if she's not working, if I have the earned income and she doesn't, that's okay. I can put 6,000 in for her, 6,000 in for 2020 for her. That gives us as a married filing joint couple, that gives us $24,000 in Roth money. But here's the other account type that everyone should know about on this call. And Greg and Don, I understand that a lot of the folks on today's call are real estate entrepreneurs. They're self-employed individuals. A solo 401k, mm -hmm. solo 401k, also known as an individual 401k, Indy 401k, QRP. Ultimately, it's all the same. If you open a solo 401k as a self-employed individual, providing you have taxable wages or taxable earned income, meaning income that you've paid Medicare and Social Security tax on and ordinary income taxes, then you can qualify for a solo 401k, providing that you don't have any employees. So Greg, unfortunately, you're not gonna qualify for this, but for those out there that are real estate agents, you have commissions from real estate sales, you're flipping houses. But wait a second, what if, I, so, so there's always ways like how can I, right? So 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 if I have two companies that have a lot of employees, there's there's nothing preventing me from setting up another company to participate in the solo 401k. I, I love the creativity. Um, unfortunately, the government's thought about this. They're going to consider you to be in a controlled group. Um, okay. Having all that being said, Greg, it's okay because you can actually self-direct a multi-participant 401k as well. And that's okay. something that we've accommodated investors with in the past. Okay. But for something that's self-employed, that doesn't have any employees, a solo 401k is very easy to open. It's very low cost, very easy to record keep and administrate. And so the, the key element to all of this for viewers to understand is that with a solo 401k, there's more bells and whistles. And you could potentially contribute higher amounts compared to just a traditional Roth, which are limited by that six or 7,000. The contributions go like this. If you are under the age of 50, as an employee, you can contribute up to $19,500. If you're 50 wow. and over, you can contribute up to 26,000. But wow. here's, here's the deal. You're not forced to only put it into a tax deferred bucket and get a deduction. You could actually put it in what's called a Roth component of the solo 401k. So my 19.5 or 26, depending on my age, I can put it into a Roth environment right away. And that's just as an employee. I then put my employer cap on because I'm an employee and an employer of my own self-employed business. As an employer, I can defer up to 20% of my self-employment income, or if I'm payrolling myself, it's 25%, not to exceed $37,500. Now I don't want viewers to get lost in the details, 
the bottom line is, let's say you pay yourself $100,000, Greg, as a self-employed individual. You put 19.5 into the Roth bucket of this solo 401k after tax money, going to grow tax-free. And then we're going to take 25% of your 100,000, defer it into the 401k, which is 25,000. So now we got 25,000 plus 19.5. And what we're going to do with that employer match or deferral is we're going to convert it over into the Roth. So now we got our 19.5 plus our 25,000. Right, we got over 40,000 of Roth dollars created by paying yourself 100,000 and setting up a solo 401k the right way. Now, all of this, all of this requires you to have self-employment income, and that's really, really critical. The IRS states that your contributions to a solo 401k need to be recurring and substantial. So if you don't have any self-employment earned income that you're paying payroll taxes on and ordinary income taxes on, then you can't have a solo 401k. But if you do, the benefits of this solo 401k with this Roth component, imagine what you could do with 40,000 in a Roth component, and then also have your Roth IRA over here, because you can have both. You can have solo 401k and Roth IRA all at the same time. I think this is a perfect time to talk about, um, so real flow. So so what we're, what we're attempting to do with, with you specifically, John, John and Equity Trust, is we, we, we would like to package up some of this knowledge, right? If we could take your brain and just sort of, you know, download it into all of our users, that would be an exceptional, uh, you know, advantage we, we feel that our user base would have. So um, one of the cool things that we're doing at RealFlow is we're moving back to a free trial of our software. Right. So if you're an active user, this doesn't really ma matter. But if you're not an active RealFlow user, you, you can now get a free trial, free 14 day trial of our software. And then you, be, you, you can become a customer of ours. Right. By doing that, we have some really good training, legal wholesaling, foreclosure investing system, entrepreneurial speed training. We have some really good courses that we've developed over the last couple of years that we sell inside the software. But we've unlocked these courses for for. For right now, if you're in these courses, access to these courses absolutely free. And one of the things I want to talk with you, John, about and the rest of the equity trust team is that idea you just talked about, solo 401k. That's almost a training in and of itself um, because it's, it's a little bit beyond the scope of this call. You know, we talked for a few minutes about it, but it's a remarkably powerful, you know, system, I call it, to, to really accelerate, you know, self-employed individuals, they, right, we want to try to get as much money as we can into our Roth right, each year. And then we want to try, try, try to maximize that revenue. So a lot of these ideas that we're talking about today, we really should talk more about how to package these up and give them access to people um, be, because you're going to need more than a 10 minute part of a phone call. They're going to need to be walked through exactly how to do it. Um, so that's one of the things, you know, I'm excited about after this call, we'll keep the real flow team, you know, up to speed on what, what we're doing with equity trust, but some good things in the future for sure. Um, Don, were you, you going to say something or? Um, yeah, I've got a bunch of questions actually coming through. So um, do you want to take sure. a, a few questions now and then, and then transition? Yeah, absolutely. Why okay. don't we do that? All right, cool. So there, there's, 
a lot of questions coming in with our older people that are over 59 and a half. If they set this up today, John, do they just need to wait the minimum five years or is there another component? Can they start taking money out right away? Or Yeah, yeah. So when we're talking about a Roth IRA account type specifically, there is what's called a five-year seasoning period. So what that five-year seasoning period says is the Roth IRA has to season for five years and the taxpayer has to have attained the age of 59 and a half before they can start enjoy the fruits, enjoying the fruits of their own labor, that being taking distributions from the account. So five years and 59 and a half. So somebody that's, let's say, 60 years old, let's say they've never had a Roth IRA before in their life. They set up a Roth IRA today, and let's assume they make the contribution for 2019. Well, fortunately, that is gonna be backdated to 2019. So they're gonna buy themselves a year. And so now it seasons for another four years and they wanna start pulling some of the earnings out that they've made. They can take 100% of the earnings out tax-free. That's only with a Roth IRA. A traditional IRA does not have that seasoning period. Now, a couple follow-up questions that usually come with this in my experience. Number one, if you had a Roth IRA from years ago, even with another financial institution, you're good, you're already seasoned. So you don't have to worry about this. Um, it's only if you've never had a Roth IRA where you're, you're have to adhere to this seasoning period. The other thing to know is whatever amount you contribute to a Roth IRA, you can always take that amount you contribute 100% tax and penalty free. Even at my age, I'm well under 59 and a half. If I put $5,000 into a Roth IRA today, and then a year from now, I really need that money desperately, I can take that money out and pay 0% tax. It's just the earnings that I make from that seat money that have to stay in there for five years and I have to have attained the age of 59 and a half. And that's a big, big light, a big, oftentimes a light bulb goes off in people's mind because they're like, wait a second, if I'm just put money in a savings account and I'm paying taxes on interest, if you have a savings account and you're, and you're collecting interest, you get a 1099 from the bank and you got to pay taxes on that interest. Put it in a Roth IRA and you have a safety net. If the worst happens, you can always back out whatever you contributed to the account. Yeah, great That's answer. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of um, people that are realtors or they're, they manage their own business, but they have a lot of 1099 contractors. With those people, can they set up a solo 401k or, or not? Yeah, great. So the solo 401k eligibility rules only state it's, it's W-2 employees. So actually, actual employees, if you have 1099 contractors, those are not considered employees. So as long as you don't have any W-2 employees, you qualify for the solo 401k. There is one exception to that no employees rule, and that's your spouse. If you have a W-2 spouse, if you will, or a spouse that you're paying a W-2 salary to through your business, that's okay. You can still have a solo 401k and they can also participate in the solo 401k. So think about that. If you're paying them enough, you can max out your contribution. They can max out their contribution. You could potentially, if you're paying yourself enough with a solo 401k between you and your wife, you could potentially get up to $100,000 into that Roth component. John, back to back to my question from like 10 minutes ago. If I'm, if I'm an entrepreneur and I have five companies, let's say, and three of these companies have employees, and two of them have zero employees, are you saying that I can't set up a solo 401k in one of these, one of my companies that has zero employees? 
Um, most likely you can't. Um, we have to look at you. Uh, you most likely cannot. Cannot. Uh, the reason why She's is trying. because you're most likely going to be considered to be in a controlled group. There's what's called a controlled group test. And, and a client that, that wanted to, or an investor who wanted to look at this a little bit further, they would team up with their CPA. We yeah. also usually work in concert with them and their CPA. And they would look and say, okay, are you in a controlled group? And if they're in a controlled group, that that's okay. They just can't have a solo 401k. We can then transition pivot and say, okay, let's set up a multi-participant 401k that you can self-direct as well into real estate. We do multi-participant 401ks from time to time for customers that need them. And your employees could also benefit from the benefits of a 401k, matching contributions. If they want to self-direct into real estate, they, they can do that as well. Um, I opened a, uh, or helped a customer through a multi-participant 401k. They're a property management company. They have about 25 employees. And so their employees want to invest in real estate. So they opened up a multi-participant 401k. It's all self-directed. The people that want to invest in mutual funds can. The people that want to invest in real estate can. Yeah, that's awesome. Don, we are, I don't know if you're seeing the questions. We're getting a lot, a lot of questions about like people asking what specific banks will set up a self-directed IRA. And I want to be clear, like typically you can't go to your local bank, Chase Bank or PNC Bank, or even a local bank. You don't, you could go there and they can help you set up an IRA and they will be limited to traditional investment options like CDs, mutual funds, et cetera. You could go to an investment advisor like I used to be, and I would say put it in mutual funds. And, and if you argued with me, well, hey, my brother told me about a self-directed IRA, I, I'm probably gonna reply, what? No, no, you can't self-direct your IRA. Like I would probably, I would have probably given them bad advice years ago, right? Um, you have to use a self-directed IRA custodian. Equity trust is, if not the biggest, one of the biggest self-directed IRA custodians in the country, one of or the oldest self-directed IRA custodian in the country, and for sure the best when it comes to real estate investors. Um, and, and so we, we would suggest, I've referred over the years, over the last 15 years, we've referred you know, hundreds, potentially even a few thousand investors to equity trust just because you guys know what you're doing and again it it, it right it has to be done the right way it has to be done the legal way and when it comes to real estate investors there there's always these little new nuances in a deal right no one deal is exactly the same so i think it's important to work with the company that knows what they're doing for sure 100 percent. yeah there's a ton of questions in here yeah. john just so you know about um, how do the, how do people work with you guys precisely, you know, uh, directly? And then also, what's the cost typically to set up uh, a self-directed IRA? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if anybody searches equity trust company uh, or even just self-directed IRAs, you're, you're going to find our name. You're going to find our website. You're going to find our phone number. Uh, we have educational content on our website. Our website is trustetc.com. So it looks like trustetc.com. Um, obviously, I would encourage folks if they're interested in more information, they're interested in speaking with us, you know, feel free to go to that website. Um, the way we work with new customers or investors is we really want to make sure that they're set up for success. Um, there's a lot of great information out on, on the internet about self-directed IRAs, and there's also some bad information. It's just like anything else, right? And so what we like to do is work with folks one-on-one, -on -one, just like I was sort of role-playing with you, Don, 
and find out what your specific needs, what your specific goals are, and then ultimately start to create a, a customized plan, if you will. Now we can't show you where to invest and how to invest because we're a directed custodian. We can't give you legal or tax advice, but our associates are trained and have talked to thousands of clients and have seen thousands of case studies over the years where we together can whiteboard the transactions that are gonna make sense for you. And so we like to, to create that environment and we do one-on-one -on -one consults with individual investors. You can call us any day of the week um, you can fill out a form online and we can reach out to you, you know, feel free to do that. And then once you get to a point where you say, Hey, I'm on board, I want to open and fund my account with equity trust. What we do at that point is take you through the process to open your account and move your money over from point A to point B. And then at that point, you're going to have access to the account online. So you log into a portal and when you're ready to make investments, you simply are saying equity trust, here's all the property information, here's the title company, wire transfer funds here, and within 24 to 48 hours electronically, the money's going out the door. So most of all the work that our customers do, they can interface with our online technology portal. Um, as far as costs are concerned, Don, I could certainly share with folks our fee schedule, it's on our website, we're very transparent. Um, our average client only pays $400 as a maintenance fee per year. Uh, to put it into perspective, if you moved over between 50 to 100,000, you'd pay a $400 fee. If you moved over 100 to 200,000, you'd pay a $480 fee. There can be a wire fee here and there, but by and large, uh, we're not charging transaction fees per investment fee. Anytime you wanna issue a check or issue an ACH direct deposit, there's no additional fees. We have an online, what we call virtual checkbook. So using the rental property examples, as you have fix up and repairs, you're gonna be writing checks to contractors or sending out ACH direct deposits for taxes, utilities, et cetera. We have this online virtual checkbook so customers can simply go in, point and click and issue those payments to go out the door. That's all included in, in the maintenance fee. And then of course, uh, our renter payment system. So if you have a renter, they can go in, and link up their bank account and shoot the money directly into your equity trust IRA. And if you're somebody that's in private lending, I've done a fair amount of private lending with my self-directed investment accounts. I can simply use my online portal and I can document upload my note and mortgage and send the money out the door to my borrower or title company. And it all occurs within 24 to 48 hours. And then my borrower just makes their payments directly back into the IRA. Okay, cool. And what are these prohibitive transactions that they're coming up in our question box? If there's one that's dicey, like Greg's trying to push the envelope on, on these deals. Uh, so you guys give that consult then to those clients? You guys do that? Is that correct? Or do they need to consult with their local attorney too? Um, you know, we always encourage folks to consult with their CPA or maybe their tax pro on those types of matters. Um, but we can be factual. So we can define for you, this is what the tax code says. This is what the IRS says in a publication. And what investors will find is prohibited transaction rules are for the most part common sense, right? I can't take my IRA money and buy a house that I personally own. I can't take my IRA money and make a loan to myself personally. I can't make a loan to my children or my spouse. Those are prohibited transactions. What happens is investors, they will run through a transaction with us. And if there's a blatant prohibited transaction, we're gonna stop it from happening. So we are a line of defense for investors. 
Now, obviously, if someone does not disclose to us what they're doing, we can't stop certain types of transactions from occurring. But by and large, we can stop most transactions from occurring because we have controls and mechanisms in place to do that. Okay, cool. Go ahead, Greg. Uh, I'm going to take a so, break from the questions you want to. So let's let's talk about let's talk about inheriting a Roth IRA because we can inherit. Like, for example, if your parents had an IRA, and my parents did. Um, my parents probably 15 years ago. My wife's parents they set up they set up IRA accounts and they listed us as the beneficiaries. Um, my mom did did actually end up passing away around five five years ago, and I inherited her Roth IRA, that specific Roth IRA. Um, you know, at the time I was full, 40 years old, um, and legally I was fully legally able to take money out of that Roth IRA tax-free at 40, which, 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 you know, I mean, most people think of IRAs, they think of this 59 and a half. For some reason, the government created this number. They had to put, put a number in, in that number, the legal retirement age, 59 and a half. So that is when you can take money out of IRAs penalty-free, right? Um, but why don't we talk through this idea of inheriting an IRA uh, and how that works legally, you know, how do you, how do you, can you still do deals in that inherited IRA? Like, talk us through that example, John. That's a that's a perfect example. And if it's okay, Greg, um, you know, I know it's a sensitive topic, but if it's okay, I'll use your example. Yeah, sure. Oh, okay. Um, so you inherited the Roth IRA five years ago from your your late mother. Um, you can use that money totally tax free to invest. So even though you're under 59 and a half, you can continue to invest that money. You can go out and do deals, make profit, profit goes back in. Even though you're under the age of 59 and a half, you can take as much money as you want, 100% tax free, and it never hits your 1040 as ordinary income because it's an inherited Roth IRA. Now, being that it was pre-2020, you're going to be under the old rules, the grandfathered in rules, which say that every year you have to take a required minimum distribution based on your life expectancy. So you got to take some money out of that Roth every single year. But you can keep it for your entire life. You can continue to grow it. Now, under the new rules, under the SECURE Act, so that's the Setting Up Every Community for Retirement Enhancement Act. That was passed in December. It went into law effective January 1 of 2020. Under the new rules, anyone who passes away January 1 onwards, if they leave the Roth IRA to their children or whomever, those individuals do not have to take requirement of distributions. However, they have to fully liquidate that account within 10 years. Now, the beauty of a Roth IRA is none of the withdrawals ever hit your 1040 as ordinary income. So with an inherited Roth IRA, keep it in there and maximize growth for 10 years. Okay. And then at 10 years, you take the money out and you don't have to pay any taxes and you, you, know, you do whatever you want to do with it at that time. Um, traditional IRAs do work the same way under the new laws. You got to withdraw within 10 years. With traditional IRAs, because you're taxed on money going out, you got to strategize and plan. Right. Because if you took a million dollar traditional IRA out in one year, 
that's going to be million dollars added to your ordinary income. So what I'm finding is investors are actually looking at converting their traditional IRAs to the Roth IRAs, getting the taxes out of the way now so that they don't have to pay taxes later on during their retirement years. And if they leave it to their children or grandchildren, they don't have to pay any taxes. So that is something that people are looking at. Now, Greg, I'll take it one step further. Let's say, for example, um, when your mother passed away five years ago, instead of naming you as the beneficiary, she skipped your generation and left it to your children. Mm -hmm. So think about your children. Let's say they're in their um, let's say they're in their 20s when a grandparent passes away. They have tax free in their 20s. They have tax free wealth accumulation. And then so if they go out and buy rentals or do lending or whatever it is that they're doing from an investment perspective, all of their cash flows that they're generating, they could conceivably take that money out and it never hits their 1040 as ordinary income. So it, it is virtually a tax free savings vessel. If you step right away. It, it, so so if so, if my son, I do have a son that's 20, if he set up an IRA today, he would he would essentially be the account holder. We're holding it would be his IRA. He could he could do real estate deals, he could build it up as big as he can build it up to. He can use all the strategies that we talked about even more, but he still has to wait till he's 59 and a half to, to really benefit from it. With an inherited IRA, if you inherit an IRA, it doesn't matter what age you are. Now, now that IRA essentially it becomes your IRA, right? So my mom's it was my mom's IRA, it became my IRA. And with an inherited IRA, there are no age restrictions on, on when to take money out. That's the that's the incredible thing. Um, and I can still do deals. It's not like if I inherited 50 grand in an IRA, I, I have to spend that 50 grand. No, I could actually do deals. I could take that 50, do a real estate joint venture, turn that into half a million, right? I mean, I could be creative and do deals and it's all tax-free money and I'm in my 40s and I could be receiving tax-free income in addition to my other business interests, that's a pretty powerful concept for sure um, yeah. that, it, that I hope everybody is getting. I hope everybody's really, this is hitting home with people because that's that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, one other item to add on the inherited um, Roth IRA. I mentioned um, a child earlier, uh, uh, into right. a parent who had a Roth IRA for, for a child. Um, and we could certainly talk about young, young children or, you know, teenagers having Roth IRAs. But, you know, let's just say for the purpose of this, you have an 18-year-old, 20-year-old, using your example, Greg, your son being 20, and they have a Roth IRA and they're getting started for the very first time. You could partner that Roth IRA, just like the examples we talked about before, with the other family members. And I have three clients out of St. Louis They've grown their daughter's Roth IRA to over $50,000. The first deal they did, it was a fix and flip deal. The daughter's Roth IRA only had about 10,000 in it. They had two years of contributions in there, but they were able to have her Roth IRA get 5% interest in the deal. And so her Roth IRA paid for 5% of the expenses and then her Roth IRA got 5% of all the net profit. And so they took her Roth IRA from about 10,000 to over 20,000 on just one deal. And then they just rinse, repeat, reload, and reinvest into another deal. Yeah, yeah that's that's awesome for sure. Um, yeah, I want to spend a minute. 
I just want to spend a minute talking about the CARES Act and how people yeah. can take money out of their, their IRA today and whether they should or shouldn't when is a different question. Why? why? Why would they? Yeah. Because exactly. essentially the CARES Act, John, correct me if I'm wrong, the CARES Act now allows people to withdraw up to $100,000 tax and penalty free um, to live, to pay for whatever um, out of their you know retirement accounts. But I mean, you would only do that if you absolutely had to do it, right? Because why are you going to take money out of a tax tax advantage environment unless it's your last money, unless you're literally trying to put food on the table? Like, does that make sense? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Greg. And I appreciate you saying that. You know, I've been having a lot of conversations and been on a lot of interviews about the CARES Act. I want to be very sensitive to the topic because you know, there are people that are in devastating situations across the country and the CARES Act in section 2202, which is the section of the bill that allows people to distribute money from their IRA is going to be an absolute necessity for them. You know, I like, I've been looking at it as if, if I can't put a roof over my head, I can't pay my rent, I, I can't pay my mortgage, I can't feed my family then that's a scenario or a situation where I'm gonna reach into my IRA and take advantage of this, what's called coronavirus related distribution. That's actually the terminology used in section 2202, coronavirus related distribution. And what it is, Greg and, and Don is, in the next year from now until December 31 of 2020, the government's gonna allow us to reach into our IRA, 401k, other retirement account, and take out as a distribution up to $100,000. Now I have to pay that money back within three years of the date that I take the distribution. If I don't return it within that three year period, then I'm gonna have to pay taxes on whatever amount I distribute over a three year period. Um, I could elect to do it all in one year. So for investors, I want folks to be careful because if you don't absolutely need to reach into the account, you're better off investing in the account and you've heard about all of these incredible tax-free benefits. Don't stump the growth of the IRA or retirement plan by taking money out prematurely, You trying to take advantage of this situation. Um, you do have to be eligible. Um, it's a bit of a, a self-certifying uh, type of arrangement that the way it's set up. Um, there are three ways in which you can be eligible. Number one, you test positive for coronavirus, meaning that you've gone to a hospital, they gave you the official CDC test, you tested positive. Number two, a spouse or dependent was diagnosed with coronavirus. Number three, you have adversely, adversely been impacted financially by the coronavirus, COVID-19 and the other strings thereof, um, and you've been furloughed, laid off, um, have experienced financial hardship. It's, it's a bit broad. Right. Um, so a good example of this, let's say I'm a real estate professional uh, agent. I'm a commissioned agent. And last year in 2019, between March 1 and May 31st, I made $25,000 in real estate commissions. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, I make zero in real estate commissions. Mm -hmm. And I really need to reach into this IRA. In that type of scenario, that's probably a good argument that you've met the qualifications. But certainly make sure that you, you, know, you meet those qualifications. Um, the other aspect of the CARES Act is you can borrow up to $100,000 from your 401k 
Uh, and the previous rule was that you could only borrow up to 50,000, not to exceed 50%. Um, requirement of distributions have also been waived. There's some other nuances of the CARES Act, but you know, Greg, I, I think you hit the nail on the head in introducing this, which is you know, only take the money out if you absolutely need to. Otherwise, invest in the IRA and make profit. And if you absolutely need to take a little bit out, take a little bit out of the account when you need to. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a last resort. It's last yeah. resort. We, Greg. So we're getting, I'm scrolling the questions. I, you know, I Same read here. six questions about, you know, examples like in one case, a father and son have an LLC, but no employees. Can they set up a, you know, can they set, set up a self-directed IRA? And we had a bunch of variations of different examples. I think pretty much the answer is virtually anyone can set up a self-directed IRA account, virtually anyone in the US, right? And 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 we, we John, me, Don, probably, um, we would prefer, you know, in a Roth environment versus traditional uh, because, because you're able to get all that growth and, and then take that money out, take all that growth out tax-free, you know, when you're at retirement age or if you inherit it, you know, if you uh, have a, Right, inherited account, you know, okay, really no age restriction. But I think it's important. Contact Equity Trust, you know, okay, again, your website, trustetc.com. And you guys are really built to answer these types of questions and take these types of incoming calls. And people can give you their situations, their specific situations, and your team can help them, you know, put the plan together to set up an account move money over from an existing IRA, um, you know, contribute money. You guys can talk through all these situations with them, right? Yeah. We, we, go ahead, John. Yeah, we can we can talk through those situations. And a great example is a father and son. If they're 50-50 owners of mm -hmm. that business, they would qualify for a solo 401k. Yep. And so we could absolutely have those conversations with individuals. We oftentimes team up with their CPA. So we'll do a conference call, we put all the heads in the room, we talk about the plan, and then we execute on the plan. Yeah. There are there are a few questions about prohibited transactions. And again, you know, that that used to get to me early on, 15 years ago when I first heard about self-directed IRAs. It seemed like, you know, like if I bought a property with my IRA and then I actually was the one doing the work to fix the property up. So I was actively involved in the deal that's a prohibited transaction because i'm self-dealing i'm i'm using my ira which is separate from me i am adding value to this investment which which is illegal right john yeah so the way that works is uh the rule of thumb we like to say is with ira owned rentals or ira owned fix and flips you can do the desk work but you can't do the sweat equity so where you cross the line is when you strap on the tool belt or the tool vest, whatever it may be, and you start you know, physically putting the hammer to the nail. Um, all of that being said, where that comes from is in the Internal Revenue Code 4975. It's actually C1C if anyone wanted to look at it. It says the furnishing of goods, services, and facilities. So Greg, it's, it's really not an, you know, hey, if you do the physical work, um, your entire IRA is gonna be imploded and you're gonna lose everything and you're gonna be penalized in tax. We really don't know. Um, there's really no case law that we can cite or IRS directives that says, hey, you absolutely can't do the physical work. But we know here at Equity Trust that there could come a day where the IRS wants to audit someone 
and deem that if someone did the physical work that they've provided a service under the provisions of the tax code, thereby they've done a prohibited transaction. So the rule of thumb is do the, do the desk work, don't do the sweat equity. Um, an investor friend of mine here locally that does a lot of self-directed IRA deals, his name's Gary, he's a contractor. Um, he says it best, he says, hey, look, I don't touch my IRA owned properties because I know that I shouldn't. I'm making a lot of tax-free gains. So whatever I'm paying in extra in the form of labor, I'm getting back by 1.2, 1.3, 1.5X in the form of the tax-free benefits. And it gives me more time, right? I get back more of my time. So it's a matter right. of uh, you know just making sure you have that right fine balance. Yeah. So you can't, as a prohibited transaction, if I had 100 grand in my IRA, I can't loan that money to myself, right? Or, right, that's an example yeah. of prohibited transaction. So, so, so I guess the concept, the point is, I used to think most transactions were prohibited, but I think that was a financial advisor in me. Actually, you can do most everything uh, the right way, the legal way, and, and right again, if you have a question, bring it up to, to Equity Trust. Call them up, pick, pick up the phone, you have an account there, walk them through what you're th thinking about doing, and if you can't do it, exactly like you want to do it, maybe they can suggest a way to do it to achieve the same result. Um, so cool. Well, I think, Don, Don, any other questions? Those were the big ones. I know we have a, a lot of questions. I, I, want, um, I want to do one more, um, yeah, but yeah, I agree with you, Greg. There's so many deal specific, yeah. really just very specific questions. Go, go to equity trust there, trustetc.com. So here's one. Uh, what is the key document to create a solo 401k? Typically, is the owner also the administrator and then the custodian actually holds the funds? We set one up in 2019 with a different custodian, won't say the name, with two accounts, one for me, one for my husband, but they won't let us separate the accounts. They group it all together, which makes it more difficult to keep track of it. Would equity allow us to keep two separate accounts in that example, John? We, we do. So um, what they're referring to is there are some firms that when they open the solo 401k, and by the way, to answer the question on the document, it's called a plan document. It's actually a document that has to be blessed by the IRS, if you will, it has to be compliant with the law. And so companies like Equity Trust and others, we have a master plan document, a prototype document, and, and we do that. Um, to get to the directly to the question, to make sure we answer that directly, um, we do separate the accounts. So if it was a husband and wife, there would be one plan but then they would have separate participatory accounts. And so if they were gonna partner on a deal, let's say husband and wife, which we see a lot of, we see husband and wives partnering on deals, um, we would make sure that those two accounts are held separately. Um, to get to the parties involved with a solo 401k, there is a third party administrator and record keeper. So equity trust, when we do this, we are the third party administrator and record keeper. There is then a custodian, which would be equity trust as well. Some folks will say, well, you actually don't need a custodian for a solo 401k, which is true, but then what you do is you have to do all of the record keeping, all the documentation yourself, and you gotta really make sure that you're abiding by the rules and not engaging in these prohibited transactions that we talked about. And then last but not least, you have a trustee. The trustee of the 401k is likely gonna be the account holder. So in this case, both the husband and wife are likely owners of the business, so they're both trustees. Solo 401ks from an investment perspective operate almost identical to an IRA, 
Um, but it is important to note that there are subtle differences such as the account holder is actually the trustee, whereas with an IRA, the trustee is equity trust, non-fiduciary trustee, but we're actually considered the trustee of the plan. That's awesome. awesome. Hey, we have we have three or four just at the end in the last five minutes, three or four questions, not really questions, but comments. This person so impressed with equity trust, we just opened up two accounts about that, an hour ago. That's the same person that asked the question earlier, FYI. So okay. they, yeah, cool. yeah. That's good. So, so I think, uh, yeah, John, I really enjoyed it. I'm excited to talk to you offline after the call and your team about how we can get a little bit more education, uh, you know, on this very important concept into the real flow universe, real flow user base. Um, I think there there is a big demand. I think, uh, you know, the the investor that learns how to, you know, we, we've had on previous calls just in the past month, a lot of investors saying, hey, we talked to private lenders and uh, um, one private lender was going in the stock market because it was depressed. Right. And, and, and so we, we can't you know, I can't convince somebody not to invest in the stock market. If I'm an investor, I want to have conversations with people who who might have might want to put some of their assets in the stock market. But clearly, it's a foolish strategy to take everything and put it put all your eggs into one basket right i would always encourage people as an investor if i'm talking to potential jv partners or private lenders um, i would simply explain why why there's going to be incredible buying opportunities over the next 12 months why you use and how you use private lenders uh you know in the business of real real estate investing and when you open up the self-directed universe you know, I want to say you're opening up probably 300% more money than you would otherwise. You know, if I look at the average private lender, they have more money in, in, in qualified plans, IRA accounts or retirement accounts than they do cash in the bank, right? I had a conversation with one you know, private lender about 10, 11 years ago, and he had $100,000 in the bank roughly. So he, he would loan that to our company to buy properties. He, he had no idea you could, you know, he could tap into his retirement account. He had over a quarter million in that account, which then he, he self-directed through equity trust. Okay, again, this is 10, 10, 11 years ago. So me as an investor, I went from a 100K pro, you know, private lender to a 350K private lender, just like that, just by advise, just, just, just by educating him, just by advising him, you know, uh, that he could self-direct you know his money and and that was that was a big big moment for him and obviously we did a lot of deals the past 10 years with that you know with with that account so um so with that don anything that we missed that you thought we talk about or no i think that was excellent john i really appreciate the time today and to have your caliber on this call was really really awesome Gosh, any last thoughts any less words of wisdom uh, yeah, the only thing else I would say, you know, obviously, guys, thanks so much for being on. Um, had a great time. Um, had a great time working with you guys. Uh, and yeah, you know, certainly, Greg, I'll take take you up on that offer and be happy to help you out and provide maybe some additional education and content. Um, that's one of the things that we do and that I'm incredibly passionate about uh, is, you know, just educating folks and making sure that they get good information. And they're really thinking creatively. You know, Greg, I, I love working with you and Don, I love working with you guys because you guys are always thinking creatively. You know, let's 
blank whiteboard. Let's whiteboard this out together. Um, the most creative deals that I've helped customers through have been where we just together over the phone on a whiteboard, whiteboard out what it's going to look like, take a picture of it, send it to their attorney and say, this is what I want to do. And, and that's what I would encourage uh, folks to do. We're, we can be a good thought partner to folks. Um, and I yeah. appreciate you guys sharing our information, you know, happy for those that are interested to reach out to us. And, you know, ultimately it is a great time to be looking at this. Uh, we find that there are a lot of investors that um, have felt some of the impact of the stock market on their portfolio. It's, it's absolutely inevitable, right? Um, if right. you're invested in traditional assets, unless you're in like fixed income type investments, maybe it weren't impacted as much, but by and large impacted. And so a lot of those investors went through 2008 and 2009. They just went through what we're, what we're in the middle of still. And they're saying, hey, I, I can't do this again. And I think you bring up a great point, Greg, which is, hey, for some people, it might not be 100% of their portfolio. Right. For some people, it might just be a percentage of their portfolio to get started with their next rental property. Uh, just talked to a gentleman earlier today. He's retiring in seven days officially, and he's got about $400,000 in a 401k. And he was fortunate in that he was mostly in fixed income and money market positions. So the downturn of the stock market didn't hit him as severely. And his goal in seven days is roll that 401k over into a self-directed IRA. And he's already got two rental properties that he's looking to jump on. And, right. and those are rental properties from landlords that just want to cash out and they need to sell the properties quick. Yeah. So you know, I, I suspect there's going to be a lot of these opportunities and we're going to certainly see a surge in folks that have an interest in this topic. But again, guys, yeah. you know, thank you so much and, you know, happy to help out going forward. Yeah, I think I think as a last uh, piece of advice, John is a guy that you want on your team. Equity Trust is a company that you want on your team. We're, we're excited to be partnering with you guys. So so with that said, um, we'll try to answer the rest of the questions. Don wants to continue to answer questions or? No, 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 no. I, don't, I just want to say one last thing uh, besides okay. thank you. And that is this call is recorded on investorshift.com. It'll be up uh, this time tomorrow for sure. And that's where all those calls are, are housed at. Oh, and I said this at the beginning of the call, but we have new content on that site every day. So I highly, highly recommend that you, you bookmark that site. Awesome. Hey, guys. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Wow, that was some powerful information. Greg and John dropped a ton of great knowledge bombs on us there. So don't forget, guys, to check out Investorshift.com. This is an amazing real flow publication set up to help investors navigate through these crazy times. And guess what? The best part? It's totally free. With tons of articles and video resources, check out investorshift.realflow.com. Please, if you like this content, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Stay safe out there, my friends. And remember, nothing works unless you do. This episode is brought to you by RealFlow, the smart way to invest in real estate. All the tools you need to automate lead generation and marketing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to leave us a review and subscribe.